Well, as I alluded to a little while ago, uh, this is the uh, first of a couple of messages that we're going to give some attention to this uh, time that we are taking over the next several weeks for nominating elders and deacons, uh, men to serve in those capacities here in this little local body of believers that we call Christ Presbyterian Church. Um, and this morning, what I'd want to do is, if I may, just sort of introduce that topic, sort of sticking my toes for just an initial foray into that, and in a couple of weeks actually get into some of the, the details as to the distinctions between those two offices, those two roles of elder and deacon. Now, I realize I just said that, and a lot of you just checked out. Um, and a lot of us understandably had a thought coming through our, our minds and hearts that went something like this. As soon as I started talking about how, oh, he's going to talk about nominations of elders and deacons. That's the sermon. Okay. Um, a thought that probably went something like this. Okay, I get how that's important, I think. But how does that help me? How is that really going to do anything for me come this week with what I'm dealing with? I have bills to pay. My family is a mess. The doctors can't seem to help. And frankly, as I'm looking forward to this week, it scares the spit out of me. So I kind of get what you're saying about this is important. Important, sort of, but how's it going to help me? That's a good question, and I want to try and tackle that if I may. But first I want to dial it back, so you're going to need to be a little patient with me if you're going to give me a chance to answer that question. Just hang on, hang on. Let's start with another question. Where do these officers, these elders and deacons, come from? You know, we have a process according to our bylaws, according to what we call the book of church order. We have a process, a nominating and training and election process. But what's really going on through that process back, if you peel it back, back in the background, behind the scenes, if you pull back the curtain, this is the Lord himself raising up these men. He has already chosen them. He has already appointed them for the task. He is simply now thrusting them forward. We are having the opportunity to recognize that and affirm what he has already done. Okay, great, but how does that help me? Glad you asked. Let's go to Ephesians 4. If you're trying to find that in your Bible, this is uh, one of Paul's letters to a church in the city of Ephesus, roughly, oh, mid-50s A.D. Um, it's uh, after the Gospels and after Acts, and you have a slew of these letters that you have in the New Testament, Romans and the Corinthian letters, first and second, uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Galatians and then Ephesians, Philippians and Colossians follow, but we're in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. I want to really hone in on verses 11 and 12, but to get the context, we've got to dial it back, rewind, start in verse 1. So we're going to read Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, and go through verse 16, but honing in on verses 11 and 12. Hear now the word of God. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. 
There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Well, that's the word of God. Let's now go to him in prayer. Lord, we uh, thank you. Thank you for inspiring the Apostle Paul to, to write these words to the church in Ephesus. They needed it, and so do we. This beautiful, beautiful uh, letter and all of the profound truths found there in chapters 1 and 3 of the, the astounding nature of your work and your grace and then connecting that with what it would mean to, to live lives individually and together as a, as a body in line with all that you have done there we read in chapters 4 through 6 and we ask that you would give us understanding deep, not just head, but heart understanding this, this morning. Encourage our hearts, we pray. Some of us here this morning are doing just fine, or at least we think. And the rest of us are a little more honest, and we know we're not. And, and we need encouragement, and we, we ask that you would uh, pour that out. Uh, we know that you have no shortage of it to give, and so we ask that you would pour it out uh, unto us here in this place, in this hour. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have your PSA, your public service announcement for the upcoming Valentine's Day. I did a Google search on this. Two things. The worst gifts that you could give and the best gifts that you can give. And by the way, just to set my poor wife's heart at ease, I'm not going to share with you everything that was on that list of worst gifts. You don't want to know, but I'll share with you some of them. Let me just say this when it comes to that list, by the way. Don't go weird. Weird would be, hmm, uh, tailor-made toilet paper. It's on the list. His and her tongue scrapers. It's on the list. Bacon flowers. I should have put an image of that up there. Um, don't go weird. Weird is bad. And, and there's another way you can go bad, though, and that is by going self. By giving what you want them to have. Right? And, and here's the, the classic, what the guy will do. Give an appliance. 
or a gym membership. Don't do that. This is on the bad list. On the good list, here's where you need to be taking notes, uh, go classic. You really can't go wrong here. The flowers. The, the, did you see the stat, by the way, in yesterday's paper, how high Clarksville is as far as how generous we are in giving flowers? Go ahead and read it. I'm not making that up. Um, but uh, top ten, top ten in the country. But um, Where was I? I got myself off track. Uh, flowers, uh, cards, the cards. And, and not just you know the ones with all the script that somebody else wrote for you. Write your own stuff uh, in there if you possibly can. Maybe you need to give yourself more than the morning of to, uh, to come up with that. Um, chocolate, you really can't go wrong there. Classic. Classic is good, or be creative, but if you're creative, have their needs, have their desires in mind. Why am I bringing this up? What is our text saying? Our text is telling us that Christ gives gifts to his people. Christ gives gifts to his, his people, um, and what he has in mind is both the unity and the diversity of his people. The unity, and you can see that there in verses uh, 1 through 6, is as hard as this for us to get our minds around, the unity of the church, the unity of his people, is actually a reflection of the unity within the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is absolutely stirring, heart-stirring, mind-stretching when you begin to really begin, when you really begin to think about that. But there's also the, the diversity in the gifts that he gives and the gifts as he apportions them and as he distributes them as the exalted king that Jesus is. And here's where Paul uh, alludes to, quotes from Psalm 68. And when you go back and you read Psalm 68 and you look at its context, what it's saying there is that the Lord Almighty, Yahweh, is like a conquering king coming into the city after the battle, distributing gifts to his people, apportioning them uh, according to what he knows they, they need. And what Paul is saying here is that that is really pointing to and fulfilled in Christ. Christ, as he says, in his descending, in his incarnation, and his ascending, in his exaltation. And then in his distributing, he's giving these gifts, not, by the way, according to our grandiose purposes, or our lofty ambitions, or our lowly, lowly deserving, but according to his grace, according to his purposes, According to his measure, Christ has given gifts to his people, to his church. Christ has given gifts to his people, gifts to his church. We should receive these gifts with gladness and rejoice in his goodness. That's what Paul is trying to convey to us. Christ has given gifts to his people, to his church. We should receive these gifts with gladness and rejoice in God's goodness, especially as we look at it from these two angles, what the gifts are and why they have been given. So let's look at these in turn. What are the gifts that he has given? Verse 11, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. Now, it's interesting to note if you've read other passages of the New Testament and about the gifts that Jesus has bestowed upon his people, normally... He speaks of talents and abilities. But in Ephesians, that's not what he hones in on. In Ephesians, what, what Paul hones in on when he speaks of the gifts that Christ has bestowed upon his people, he speaks of people. He speaks of people who are serving in particular offices, charged with certain responsibilities. Some 
of which are still with us, some of which are not. Some have passed from the scene. The apostles, the chosen men, authorized by, personally authorized by Christ himself, witnesses of the resurrection, whose teaching is still with us today, preserved for us and passed down to us in the New Testament. The apostles, the prophets. In that context, he's speaking of prophets in the New Testament era who are also serving and working alongside with the apostles. Speaking not continuously, I guess you could say, as the apostles did, but more occasionally, just as inspired by the Holy Spirit, but speaking only when the situation warranted it. These have passed from the scene now that the canon is closed. That said, there are still some with us today, if I, you may put it this way, permanent through the years. The evangelists, church planters, missionaries, those reaching unreached people with a particular gift and calling for that endeavor. Evangelists, pastors, teachers, likely this is one office, one group of people, uh, when you look at the, the wording there, to guide us in the gospel, to instruct us in the faith. The point being, again, in addition to talents and gifts and abilities, Christ has gifted his people in other ways as well, and that has to do with people, people serving in particular offices. The question then before the house is, how should those people be regarded? How should such gifts be received? Think back to that terrible day, September 11, 2001, Manhattan, ground zero, those beautiful, those beautiful towers of glass and steel and concrete were left a smoldering pile of rubble. Who was called in? Firefighters, policemen, emergency techs of all different kinds. How were they received? With gladness, with cheer, with applause, with prayer for their safety. Why? Because those people there recognized they were in desperate need of what these people had to give. And there is a parallel, I would say, in terms of how we should regard these gifts that our Lord Jesus has bestowed upon us as his, his church. Now, not to say by, uh, for a second that these are, are perfect, and, and by the way, not to say that we should get ourselves confused. Now, I recognize that elders and deacons are not actually mentioned in the text, but the principle applies here in Ephesians 4. When you think in terms of the fact that in every church that Paul planted, he appointed elders, and then he later called for deacons as well. So it's very clear this is a high priority. Also, you look at the, the qualifications, the, the searching qualifications that, that have to be in play for someone to serve in that way. And it's clear that, that among these other gifts, elders and deacons are included in the gifts that Christ has given to his church. So again, I would say, how should they? how are they? Put that way. How are they often received and regarded? And I fear too, far too often, far too lightly. First, by the people to whom those gifts have been given. By us, in general. There's a quote uh, in your quotes and notes uh, from the reformer, the uh, 16th century reformer John Calvin, writing in his commentary in Ephesians. He said, this is the one at the top of the page, Paul could not exalt more highly the ministry of the word, than by attributing it to it this effect. For what higher work can there be than to build up the church that it might reach its perfection? They, therefore, are insane who, neglecting this means, hope to be perfect in Christ, as is the case with fanatics, 
who pretend the secret revelations of the Spirit, and the proud who content themselves with the private reading of Scripture and imagine that they do not need the ministry of the church. How should we be regarding such gifts that we have been given? Again, not to say that these men are perfect by any stretch, but how should they be regarded? Sometimes I think we do so far too lightly, not just we as the people to whom they have been given, but also the gifts themselves regard themselves too lightly. The men who have been called to serve in these offices and these capacities sometimes regard themselves too lightly. Again, they, not to say for a minute that they should go around with a chip on their shoulder saying, well, I'm God's gift to the church. But there should be a sense of certainty. And with that certainty, there should come boldness and courage of purpose and clarity and conviction of message because Christ called them. Christ, the living Christ, the exalted King, has bestowed gifts upon us, His church, His people. That's the first thing. Who are these gifts? There's a follow-up to that, and that is why. Why has He given them to us? I want to read verse 11 again, but move on just to verse 12. And he has gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then the rest of that passage, verses 13 through 16, goes on to unpack that. I'll just sum it up this way by saying, the purpose is spiritual bodybuilding. Spiritual bodybuilding. And there's, there's two purposes, an immediate one and a long-range one, an immediate one and an ultimate one. In terms of the immediate short range right in front of us, it is certainly to equip the saints, to prepare us, to take us from where we are to where we need to be. That's why they've been called and, and placed in such offices, to such, in such capacities. Why? To equip the saints that we might serve, to, to mobilize us for ministry, all of us, all of us. You see, in no way, shape, or form is the Apostle Paul ever going to buy into, this is a work for the professionals. This is a work for the people with the titles. That's not the way ministry is. It's not a spectator sport. Some of you, if you've got an older translation here, I have to tell you, you have the comma from hell in your translation. You're wondering, what? Yes, I'm telling you. In verse 12... If you read it, there's a comma there that's sadly not in the ESV, not in the NIV, and I don't think in the RSV and a bunch of others, but in some, some of the older ones, there's an elitist feel to it. Breaking up the purpose is to make it sound like the purpose, the, the reason he has appointed these individuals for this, this task is to do the ministry. It would read like this, if you look at verse 12, to equip the saints, comma, breaking it up. And a second reason for the work of ministry, as though those things could be separated. No, they're not separated. They're brought together. We're, the, 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 these men have been called and equipped and sent that we might be called and equipped and sent. Uh, if I can put it this way, I know um, the Super Bowl is behind us, um, but the image, the, it still works, right? When you think of a football game, and some of you have heard this analogy, you have 22 men down in the field desperately in need of exercise, excuse me, desperately in need of rest, 
and thousands of people on the stands looking passively, desperately in need of exercise. The church, the local church, the Christian faith is not a spectator sport. And to say otherwise is a monstrous misconception. It is a, it is a caricature of the worst kind. So the immediate purpose is to equip the saints that they might serve for the building up of the body of Christ. So what does Paul mean by that? I think these two things, extensive growth in terms of size, in terms of numbers, as every part is doing its part and the church is growing, but not just in numbers and not just in size, but in maturity and in depth. So not just extensive growth, but intensive growth, health. Health as well as each part is doing its part. This is why Christ has given gifts to his church. His means not might, might not be our means. We might have a better and brighter idea, so we think. But his means of growing his church is his church. His means of growing his church is the faithful working of his church. Some of you have heard me use this story before to illustrate this, I guess you could say, in an absurd sort of way, but it's true. The Wall Street Journal ran a story a few years ago talking about a church here somewhere in North America that, I guess meaning well, I'm going to cut them this much slack, that in the course of a worship service, and the, you know, I guess out of a desire to grow the church, had a wrestling match in the worship service between members of the church staff. I don't know why, but they did. To attract people, to get attention, I guess. Be creative, I guess. That, though, is unmatched by this example of a case where, and I don't think it's physically possible, literally thank God, do that in this room, but a case where the pastor at the end of his sermon ascended up to the ceiling by invisible wires while accompanied, musical accompanied by the choir and the orchestra behind him, and then that was coupled and set up with, by the way, smoke and a light show and fireworks in the sanctuary. Thank God our means of growing the church are not his. His are so much better. Now, why is this vital for us to remember? Again, and I would say stressing the roles, if you will, of those called the gifts themselves and the receivers of the gifts, the people, because of a dual temptation of dual pressures that could crush and kill the reality and necessity of every member ministry. And the pressures and the temptations come from these two sides. One, the pride of professionals. The pride of professionals. I'm paid to be good. You people are good for nothing. More seriously, more seriously, I have the training. I have the experience. I have the expertise. If I don't do it, it won't get done. And if it does get done, it won't get done right. That's hellish. And it's very American. The pride of the professional. From the other side, you have this. If you like alliterations, the laxity of the laity. The laziness. I hate to say this, but I have to. The laziness of the laity. The presumption of the people. Doesn't he have the title? Isn't it his job? Isn't that what they're called to do? Isn't that what... You put those two together, you have a deadly, toxic, killing, combustible something that kills the ministry of a church. 
it crushes the life out of what Paul intends for us here. May, he, may the Lord free us from it. Now, his ways are not our ways. I'll tell you, my, my way, my instinctive way, would, would never be to call someone like me to an office like this. No way. Or to any other man in this church. Just ask our wives. No way! Well, then, what, okay, what would it be? You know what I would say? I would say when a church is planted, call in a squad of angels. Let them run it so we don't screw it up. But that's not the way the Lord chooses to do it, is it? He calls ordinary people to do these extraordinary, well, through whom He's going to do extraordinary things. Why? Because that's a living manifestation of the gospel itself. Showing strength through what? Weakness. Putting treasure in cracked earthen clay pots. That's the gospel. That's his means by which to do this. His ways are not ours, but they're so much better. So much better. Okay, now I'm going to go round, long way around the barn. I may have distracted you from that initial question, but it would be really dishonest of me not to try and deal with it now. The initial question was, what does this have to do with me? Remember that? How is this going to help me? This has been interesting, maybe. This has been interesting, but really, how is this going to help me? Here's the, my answer. The goodness of God is reflected in the gifts of God. The goodness of God is reflected in the gifts of God. And that can free us to follow him. That can free us to follow him. Some of you know I just got back from this trip to Israel and in order to go, an all-inclusive tour package had to be purchased in order to do that. And what that meant was airfare and hotels and nearly every meal and the transportation and the itinerary and the, uh, the, the tour guides who walked us through every site so helpfully so we understood what it was that we were seeing. All of that was included. Nothing was left out, including even the pacing of things and, 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 and structuring in such a way so that by the time we got late into our time in Jerusalem, we had an afternoon off so that we could go and see certain places that we wanted to go back to or maybe go check out some places we hadn't had a chance to go see. Or at some point there in our time there in Jerusalem when we just felt ourselves so, if not physically, certainly emotionally and spiritually drained. We took time to celebrate the Lord's Supper at the Garden Tomb. They thought of everything. That's my point. Nothing was left out, which is why, if you ask me today, if I want to go back, yeah, yesterday. I'd do it in a heartbeat. Because they covered it all so well. Now transpose that to what we're talking about here. The goodness of God is reflected in the gifts of God, which encourages us, which enables us, which frees us to trust Him all the more. And we need, oh, we need reminders of the goodness of God. And that goes all the way back to the garden when our first parents were tripped up, tempted into, and fell into doubting His goodness. And we have been cynics and skeptics ever since. Doubting whether or not whether, what He says is true. Doubting whether or not He'll stay with us in the thick of things. Wondering questioning whether or not, you know, after this, he's going to leave me. Will he? No! Because he's good. And in Ephesians 4, we have a beautiful, tangible reminder of his goodness. Is Jesus physically present with us today? No. 
But he is at work. He is at work. He is on the move. He is the elder. He is the deacon. And he knows the needs of his people, including even tangible reminders of his goodness, his gifts. Let's pray. Lord, you know us well. You made us. You designed us. You are the craftsman. You know us well in making us. You know us well in coming as one of us. In the incarnation. Seeing with your own physical eyes what it was to be human, but also being it. You know us well. You know our needs. You know that we need order and governance in our private lives, but also here in the context of a local church. You know that we need reminders of your goodness because, oh, we confess we are so prone to wander and so prone to forget. Lord, in this context, in this, this, and here this morning as we're talking about Ephesians 4 and the nominations of elders and deacons here in this church, we do pray that you would raise up the men that you have prepared. And we ask you also that you would encourage our hearts, all of us, encourage our hearts with your goodness, for you are good indeed. We pray these things in our King's name, the elder and the deacon, Jesus. Amen.